Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. All right, how many of you ready to get into the Word of God this morning? You ready? We're going to jump into it. We're wrapping up this collection of talks on relationships called Relationships, Relationship Goals. How many of you enjoyed this? Hopefully you have. It's been great. I know I've learned uh, a lot of stuff in studying and preparing for this and just getting to talk about what is God's goals? What are are his goals for our relationships? And uh, I wrote down this a couple weeks ago, and I really liked it. I stole it from somebody. I don't remember who, but I love this. Relationships only work when we let the one who designed them define them. When we say, God, you, you designed relationships, you designed us, you're the creator of everything, and because you designed us, uh, God, we, we want to get your thoughts on this. We want to have your mindset as it relates to our relationships, dating relationships, marriage, pre-marriage, single, single again, widow, scoping, hoping, whatever it may be. Like, like God, we want your definition, we want your instructions on our relationships. And I love Philippians 2, this has kind of been our, our theme verse, it says this, in your relationships, with one another, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Um, how many know sometimes we got to get our mind right? Sometimes the way that we think about things, sometimes the way our, our, our perspective about things, is sometimes it's skewed, sometimes it's warped, sometimes it's off, sometimes it's shaped by culture and shaped by media. But what God says is, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have the same type of mindset, the same type of thinking in your relationships. And whenever we do that, when we go to God's word and we say, God, what do you say about marriage? What do you say about sexuality? God, what do you say about dating? What do you say about singleness? What do you say about friendships and community or parenting? Whenever we lean in, we say, God, not my will, but your will be done. You know what God does? He blesses us whenever we take, when we're taking our relational cues from him and not from our own proclivities or from culture. Can somebody say amen? Amen. And so we've been digging into God's word. We've talked about quite a few things. Uh, but today, I want to I shift gears a bit, and I want to talk, uh, kind of circling back around. I know that Dan Terry, he taught a little bit on community, authentic community, but I want to talk a bit more about that. And I, as the pastor of the church, I want to really describe what I believe authentic community, when we are together, uh, the way that God designed for us to be together in true community, not just a bunch of familiar strangers that uh, attend on a Sunday, but whenever we actually know one another, when we're sharing our life with one another, what that can look like and how powerful it can be. Uh, let me read this scripture to you uh, today as the kind of the launching pad for us. Hebrews chapter 10. You've probably heard this verse before. These verses, they're, they're really good. Hebrews chapter 10 says this in verse 23. It says, so now, this is actually in light, the previous verses, in light of what Jesus has done on the cross and how he has paid for our sins. He's restored relationship uh, with us between, him, between us and the Father. It says, in light of all that, because of Jesus, It says, so now we must cling tightly to the hope that lives within us, knowing that God always keeps his promises. How many of you are grateful that God always keeps his promises? Can somebody say amen? I'm grateful for that. But he says, you got to cling tightly. You got to hold on to your hope. Don't let it, don't let the grip start to slip. You got to hold tightly to this. He's speaking this. um, The writer here is writing to the Hebrew Christians, the Jewish Christians that are really under heavy persecution. They're in a very tough situation. Many people are, 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 are walking away from their faith. Many people are losing their faith. Many people have now begun to believe in some really crazy theology. And he comes in, he's like, listen, I know it's tough. I know you're going through suffering and persecution, but you need to keep holding on. Don't give up. I know you may feel discouraged. Don't give up. And he keeps saying, discover creative ways 
to encourage others and to motivate them toward acts of compassion, acts of love, doing beautiful works as expressions of love. And look at this, verse 25. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some have formed the habit of doing. Because we need each other, he says. This is why. It's not for church attendance. It's not for metrics and small groups. And he goes, no, no, no. It's because we actually need each other. That's why we need to make sure we come together and we stick together. He says, some people, though, they form the habit of doing this. He says, we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate the day dawning. That means the return of Christ. The day we'll stand before Jesus. Now, listen, this is not, I'm, I'm, I'm not about to preach a message and say, hey, we're adding 18 services. We need to be out every night of the week. And that's not, this is way more than church services. This is a church family that I want to talk about. This is about, here's what he's saying. He's like, guys, he's like, you, you need to understand the power of your togetherness. You need to understand how, how much you need each other. Look at the person next to you and say, I need you. But you got to say it with a little, little, little swag to it, too. I need you. I need you. Do you know, do you know that you need more than your job? That you need more than your money, no matter how much you have? Do you know that you you need more than just your few followers on Instagram and Facebook? You need the people in this room. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm just here to tell you, I need you. You need me. And we need each other. I've talked to so many people that, that come uh, to our church or maybe they come through our church and they tell me they moved here from somewhere else or whatever and, and they're a follower of Jesus and they got here and they tell me how hard the first six months or the first year of their life was here because they didn't have a community, a Christian community, a faith community. And they just talked about how discouraging it was to not have someone to gather with to worship, but more than just a service. They didn't have someone to gather and to encourage them and that they could encourage and, and they could be themselves, be, be fully themselves, be fully known, be fully loved, take off the mask, be real uh, through the highs and the lows. And they just, they tell me like this, this city, as beautiful and as amazing as our city is, they, many, many stories, almost every story is the same. They're like this, this city, if you don't have a faith community and you're trying to follow Jesus, it's, it's impossible. It's just so hard. It just feels like it just drains your spirit. And this is a topic that I'm very passionate about because I believe God has a lot to say about our connectedness, our togetherness, our community, and how we need each other. Listen, Christianity isn't an independent study. It is a group project. When, when, I, was, when I was in school, I hated individual study things. Like I hated taking tests by myself. I called it collaboration. I think it was cheating. But anyway, we're not going to talk about that. I just, I think collaboration and connect, being connected. And some of this is because I am a relational person. But I just think this is God's idea. This is what, what, what he said at the very beginning. It is not good that man be alone. That is a statement for humanity, not just for couples. That is a statement that, that God says this. I, I'm going to give him a helper. That word helper in the, the original language is azir. It means a partner. What was the partnership in? It was more than just a partnership for sex or for reproduction and multiplication. It was a partnership for a calling. God gave Adam a calling, and that was to tend the garden and to, be, to, to look at everything and to name animals. It was a project. It was a calling. It was the garden project. And God says, you can't do this by yourself. You need someone smarter than you. I'm going to give you a woman, right? <laughs> 
But he says, I'm going to give you someone that's going to help you. They're going to help you in my call on your life. They're going to help you reach your potential. And you're going to help them reach their potential. Listen, this, is, this can't just be a call for couples because not every person is called to be married. Paul says some people are called to be celibate. Some people, some people are called to live a life where they, they have set aside their life and everything to just honor God and to live for God. There's people that are in the ministry that have set aside like that. So there's some people that have that, that calling. And so we know that if God makes a, a, a strong statement, like it's not good that man be alone, then it can't just be about married couples. It has to be about humanity. It's not good that we're by ourselves. And the very way that God created us is to be dependent upon each other in a healthy way. A healthy way, not an unhealthy codependency, but in a healthy way, God has wired humanity where we need one another. And that God, he actually uses that when we're in a healthy place and we're, we're looking to one another to complement us. Not, not so that we can you know, find our identity in that person, but so that we can make each other better and become more like Jesus. God uses relationships like that. And we need each other. Can somebody say amen? amen. This is God's plan. See, together... It's God's plan. Ecclesiastes says it like this. This is the sage, the wisdom writer Solomon says, two people are better than one. Two people are better than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. It says, but how can, Teresa said, amen. You like Bob getting close to you. Okay, we know. But how can, how can we be warm alone? Look at this. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back-to-back and they can conquer. That's a good back-to-back. Remember last week we talked about back-to-back? This is a good back-to-back. Like you're back-to-back, you're on the same team, you're fighting the enemy, right? He says two back-to-back, man, you can conquer a lot, you can take a lot of ground. But three are even better for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. I remember when I really felt the weight of this for the first time was whenever I was in Dallas, Texas a few years back and moved there and moved away from my spiritual family, moved away from my community. And I've shared this story before, so just bear with me if you've heard it. But I remember going to Gateway Church and not having any friends, no community. I mean, my, my, friend, my best friends right down here, Jennifer and my kids. But, um, but I, I just, I lost all my brothers and my, my, just my, my, my crew, you know. And I went to Gateway and I remember I was there for about six months and I began to slip in really a state of depression. I was so depressed and discouraged because I felt so alone. And man, the enemy started attacking me at different, uh, at different places in my life. And I remember going, I was wearing a suit and I remember uh, going into the restroom at this church. And it was during a church service just like this. I got up from the sermon. I could not engage because I was, I was struggling so bad, so discouraged. I went into the restroom. I went to uh, one of the stalls and I just sat down in my suit, fully clothed, just sat on the toilet and crossed my arms and was just like, I hate my life. I'm so discouraged. The weight of loneliness and the weight of not having anyone that I could be together with and share, share laughs with and cry with and pray with, the weight of that, it hurts so bad. And I remember I, I literally I put my, my face in my hands and I began to weep and cry. And, and, and right then I felt like the Holy Spirit just kind of, he just spoke to me the way he does. He says, what are you crying about? <laughs> I mean, you can't stand it whenever God like just backhands you a bit, just like, wow. He said, what are you crying about? And I was like, I was like, I'm alone and I don't have anyone that I can, I can relate with here. And I don't have any friends. And, you know, you called me away from my community. Why did you do that? And I, I processed that with God. How many of that God can handle your tough questions and your complaints? He can deal with you. He can deal with you being yourself and being real. 
Not the, not the you, you don't have to be to him the person you think you should be. You can be yourself to him and process that with him. I began to process with him and I was like, God, I'm disappointed with you. I'm mad at you and I'm, I'm, because you've taken all my friends from me. And I felt like God said in his gracious way, you need to quit crying about this and you need to do something about it. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to do about it? Just put myself out there, make myself vulnerable, just go around like, hey, will you be my friend? You know, just start stalking people on Facebook. What do you want me to do, God? He was like, why don't you throw a dinner party and quit crying about it? I was like, a dinner party? I can do that. So I, I text Jennifer right there in church. I said, I'm going to throw a dinner party, and we're going to stop, we're going to stop crying about not having community, and we're going to create it. And we're going to build community, and we're going to be together because we need this. We need people. We, we need God, of course, but we need God's people in our life. We need to be together with people. And I'm telling you, that, that dinner party, it grew and it grew and it grew. One night, we had probably 40, 50 people. They're running around, kids everywhere. It was a madhouse. But I remember how God blessed it. And he, he did something so special there. And I felt like God said, one day when I looked across this dinner party, I felt like God said, said the church in San Francisco will be built on dinner parties, on people coming together. On people, and, and now I think about even this past week, our dinner party, it's nothing super special. It's just we gather and we eat and we talk and we laugh. And I think about some of the people that are at our dinner party and people for the previous seasons, how we've just come together and we're sharing our life. And you know what? It makes this church so much more special to me. I love Sundays. I love getting to preach and share God's word. I love these things. But I love hearing people's stories and sharing our lives together. And when we go through good things, we share those moments. When we go through bad things, we share those moments. But you just need to know that together is God's plan. But here's something else you need to know. Together, though it's necessary, it's not easy. Together is not easy. I think about some of the people that drive to our dinner party. Sometimes they drive an hour, one way to come to our dinner party. I think, I think about relationships, all the important relationships of my life. They have not been easy. It's, it's taken me being intentional with those relationships, seeing the value and putting a priority on those things. But it's not easy. Sometimes it's not easy because relationships, if you think about it, some of the deepest wounds of your life have come because you've opened yourself up to someone and you've become friends with them and they've hurt you. They've backstabbed you. They've cheated on you. If it's a spouse, it was a friend. And so our friendships and our community sometimes can hurt us and wound us. And the enemy, what he does is through previous wounds, he makes us throw relationships totally out the window, especially when it comes to church, because the enemy knows if God's plan is us to be together, the enemy's plan is to destroy us and separate us. Because if he can and isolate you, he can destroy your life. Well, we were in Disney World just recently, and we went to Animal Kingdom, which is kind of cool, glorified um, park, you know, our glorified zoo uh, down in Orlando. And while we were there, uh, it was great. We saw the king of the jungle. We saw the lions, right? And I'm sitting there looking, and there's all these other animals everywhere. I'm thinking, why are these lions? If I was a lion, I would be eating everything. Like, why are they not eating all these gazelles running around? And it's because they feed them regularly, right? But but if you've ever watched the Discovery Channel, I love it because the lions, they start prowling around and they see this like herd of wildebeest or herd of gazelles. You notice they never run in the middle of the pack. They never do. They're prowling around and they're roaring and they're kind of moving through on the sides and they wait for that one stupid gazelle to like walk off to the side. It's like, you know, just like eating. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the safety of the pack and I'm going to go over here by myself and eat some grass. And next thing you know, he's a lion lunchable, just complete treat for this lion. And he just, he looks for the one that's by himself. He looks for the isolated one. You know what the Bible says in First Peter 5? It says, be alert and sober mind, of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Someone. 
The enemy doesn't go after a pack because he knows we're strong. When we're together, we're strong. When we're together and we pray, listen, one can, what does it say? One can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000. I don't even know the math there, but it's great. Here's the point. is together, we're stronger, we're better. The enemy is not a, he has no chance at all. I almost said no chance in hell. That would have been so appropriate to say that, right? Because he's the devil from hell, no chance in hell to defeat Christians when we come together. Some of you are like, I don't know if I should laugh at that. It's like, anyway. Together, listen, here's, here's the thing. Together is God's plan. Together, is, sometimes it's, just, it's not easy. And together is a choice. It's a choice that you and I have to make. It's a choice to say church is not going to be an event. It's not going to be a program. It's going to be a group of people that share life together and do life together. That's a choice that we have to make. I love one of the things about our church is that we've, we've, we've just tried to create intentional gathering places for people with dinner parties and small groups. And, and I want to encourage you, in case you haven't, maybe you've been out of town and things like that. We've started our small group season already, but, it, but in case you're not a part of a small group, you need to join a small group. Just give it a shot. Give it a chance. If you've thrown those out the window because you went to a really weird small group where people had like shofars and feathers and stuff like that, like crazy spiritual stuff, we don't have that at ours. If you go to a small group like that, please let me know because we're kicking them out of the church because this is just a little crazy, okay? No fire, there's not gonna be any fire tunnels at our small groups, none of that. We just eat food, we hang out, and we just chill, okay? But I just want to encourage you, find some people that you can do life with. Find some people that you can share your life with. The saddest thing to me as a pastor, now I hope that you hear my heart here, like I'm I'm sharing with you as just as a pastor of the church, saying this is my deep, a deep, deep desire for me. That every single one of you that you'd come in here and that you would you'd actually know the people here as our church continues to grow and and it's going to get bigger and bigger. My prayer is this: is that we'd be big enough to reach the world, but small enough to feel like home. How does that happen? How do we keep that closeness and smallness? It's through small groups and more than small groups. That's just a baseline starting point. But listen, it takes a choice. Now I want to share with you. The, in these final moments that we have together to cap off this collection, I want to share with you what I feel like God has, has, has given me for us at the, as, as a church, as a church family, as we come together, what that should look like in a healthy way. And I want to share this with you from David's story. David, you know, King David in, in Scripture, David that killed uh, the giant. You know, his story started um, really early on. Uh, he was the eighth child of a family of eight, really isolated out in a sheep field by himself. His family, his brothers, even his dad didn't really see the potential in his life. And God had to send someone to come and to call his potential out on him. But what's amazing is his story starts in a sheep field, isolated, unknown, but with tons of potential and with a call of God on his life. And then you fast forward through his life, so many amazing things. Yeah, we have this failure with Bathsheba, but so many amazing things that God does through David's life. Eventually, he becomes this poet and songwriter, and he becomes a warrior and a king. And, and, and the, the Bible says this amazing statement in Acts 13. It says that he was a man after God's own heart, like, like he was after the heart of God. He was this amazing person. But can I tell you, the reason why the Bible describes him like that and the reason why he was so successful in his leadership and as a king and as a worship leader and as a songwriter, it wasn't just because he had some unusual talent. It wasn't because he had some amazing doors of opportunity that swung open for him. I believe it was because he had some right relationships in his life. And because of those relationships, because of that community and that togetherness with these individuals, God used these people to set a trajectory for his life. And I believe if God did it for David, 
then he can do it for you. Amen? There's three people I want to point out. There's a lot of friends that David had, but there's three people that I believe they show us uh, three things that we need in a healthy relationship, in a healthy friendship, in community. And I want these three things to be within our, our small groups, within the communities that form within our church. And here's the three people. The first one right this down is Samuel. The second one is Jonathan. The third one is Nathan. And I want to share with you the three things that these friends, these were amazing friends in David's life, three things that they did for them. And I believe these should be goals that we look, these are things that we should look for in friendships that we have. And these are three things that we should demonstrate in the relationships that we have. Uh, look at this uh, scripture right here. Second Sam, or First Samuel chapter 16 says this. Uh, this is Samuel. He was a prophet of God. He's one of God's like, pastors, essentially. He was a prophet. And um, God would, would use these prophets to go, and they would, they would, uh, they would anoint the, the next kings. They would anoint them with oil. And that was just a symbol saying this person's been set apart for God. Well, Saul is the king, the current king. He's the first king of the nation of Israel. And uh, his, his tenure has come to a close. And God says, Samuel, I've, I've got another person that I'm going to, to choose to step into leadership and is going to lead my people. And, um, and so he goes on the look for this person. He shows up at the house of Jesse. And as he's there, look what it says. It says, then the Lord said to Samuel, rise and anoint him. Talking about David. This is the one. He's the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Here's what I want to point out from this. Here's what we need. When we come together, here's what we should do. We call out the best in each other. This is what Samuel goes to where David is at. And David has been in a family that's so dysfunctional. His brothers are always speaking down to him. They're always being negative. They're always putting him down. But Samuel comes there and says, I see something on this young man that his brothers don't see. I see something on him that his father doesn't even see. I see the hand of God on this kid. This kid's got potential. This, and what does he do? He's, he anoints him with oil. And from that day forward, the hand of God, the power of God, and the presence of God is on his life. I love this. I, I, I so relate to this because I remember being about 17 and 18 years old. And I felt like all people saw in me was the, the, the bad. All people saw was the worst sides of me. And, the bad, and, and listen, there was a lot to see, okay? I developed my testimony very well, okay? I, I, was, I was really screwed up. But there was a guy named Mark Cleary. Mark Cleary, he saw something in Jason Laird. I think he saw something in me that other pastors that were around me didn't see. I think, matter of fact, I got passed over for a job at this church, this one particular church, by about five different people because they were more qualified. They were more gifted. They had better experience. They had been saved a lot longer. And, and, and I got passed over, and these guys got hired. All five of those guys are not in ministry anymore. I think a, a few of them are not even following Jesus anymore. But every time I was passed over, Mark Cleary he would step in and he was my advocate saying, we need to hire this kid. We got to hire this kid. This kid's got to call a God on his life. He would look at me and say, Jason, I'm not going to let you settle for anything less than God's best for you because God's anointed you. He's called you to be a pastor. He's called you to be a leader. He's called you to do great things. Even, even I, there was things I didn't even see in myself, but Mark saw it. And he called it out of me. Listen, you need to have friends like that. You need to have people in your life that when they come around you, man, they see potential in you and they call it out of you. Man, when, those days whenever you don't see what God's put on the inside of you, you need people that will speak life to you, life-giving words over you, and will call God's best out of you. Amen? Amen. I think about Miss Elise Cole, this lady Elise. She saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. She saw a gift to communicate. 
when, when I, I, all that came out of my mouth for years was just profanity. And she said, God's put his words in your mouth. Hey, God's put his words in your heart. You keep studying God's word. God, I'm telling you, God's going to use you as a mouthpiece to the nations. I didn't even realize what that meant. I thought that was just something that, that you know, religious people said until I started traveling all over the world. I, I've been to India and to Africa. And to, I've been all over the world as a mouthpiece to the nations declaring the goodness of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I never would have even saw that in myself. But because God put me together with people that saw it and they spoke that and they pulled that out of my life. I just want to encourage you when we gather together, I pray that our small groups, that when you get in a small group, that there'll be, there'll be people that will be in that group. They'll see something that maybe you've never seen in yourself before. Man, you realize you got a gift to pastor. That doesn't mean you got to be on staff at a church. You can pastor at the, at the place that you're working at. You can pastor at the school that you're teaching at. I pray that you'll be in small groups and in community and relationships within this church where we'll have life-giving words that will evoke the potential out of you and that you'll step into the fullness of what God's called for your life. Amen? Come on, you can clap your hands. It's good. I love, I love the way Proverbs says it in verse 27. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Let me ask you this question. That crew that you roll with right now, are they making you sharper? Like the people that you're doing life with, I get it. Like we can't just live in a Christian bubble. You got to go and be salt and light. You got to be, you know, you got to be friends with people that maybe aren't believers. I get that. I have friends that aren't Christians. But what I want to ask you is the people that you're doing life with, you're, you're daily sharing your life with, that group text thread that you're on, are they making you sharper? Let me say like this. Are you becoming more spiritual and more like Jesus? Or, are you, or is it pulling you down? Is it, bringing you, is it bringing you to lower levels? Because what God wants for you is to be connected with some people that will make you sharp, that will make you so sharp spiritually that you can cut through any. I'm telling you, this is what God wants for you. This is what God wants for me. I almost preach a message called defriending because there are some people that you may need to defriend because they're not making you sharper. Here's the second one is this. I said when we get together, we call out to God for each other. We call out to God for each other. David is anointed to be the next king. Only one problem. Saul is still the king. Saul in his insecurity starts to go crazy and he starts to throw death threats out there towards David. He starts chasing David like crazy. I mean, it's, it's a really bizarre story when you read it. You get a chance. But it, it's crazy. So he starts coming after David. So, so what do you do when, when you're anointed to be something, you're called to be something, but it's not your time yet, and you're discouraged, and you feel like the enemy's coming out of you, and everything is just trying to keep you from what God's called you to do? You get really discouraged, right? In those moments, you better make sure that you have someone by your side that can help you when you're weak, that can help you when you're discouraged, that can speak life to you and lift you up whenever your head is hanging low, whenever you don't want to go to church. Hello? Whenever you want to stay away from people because you don't because you've fallen into sin, you need to have somebody that will come and get right in the middle of your mess and say, listen, you are better than that. And God's grace is still for you. God still loves you. Come on. You're coming to church with me. You need to have people like that in your life. I can't. I'm telling you, I've had, somebody, it's so funny. Every once in a while, there's like somebody starts feeling that. And he's like, mm. Listen, I give you permission. You can clap. You can clap. You can amen me, whatever. If you do that, I'm going to preach better and faster. So. Listen, now y'all like, yes, yes, you're going to get us out of here quick. Okay, I'm clapping. Second, uh, first Samuel, look at this. This is Jonathan, okay? So the first guy was Samuel, Jonathan. So, so, so King Saul is chasing down David, is about to kill him. David's discouraged. 
no strength, wants to give up, just like we've all been there before. But he's got a friend. He's got this friend named Jonathan who happens to be the prince. He's, he's, he's the king's son. And, and Jonathan shows up in a moment where, where David's just, man, his head's hanging low. And he does for him what he could not do for himself. It says, while David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, says, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. That's a bad day. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went out to David at Horesh, and he helped him find strength in God. How do you help somebody find strength in God? I can just tell you from my experience, the people that have helped me, my friends that have helped me find strength in God, it's been through two ways. Number one, it's been through them speaking life-giving words to me. And, and just speaking faith, like, Jason, you, this is going to happen. You keep believing. You keep. But what's even more powerful than that is whenever my friends have just been present with me and prayed with me. There's something powerful that happens when you pray for your friends. One of the things I love about our small groups is this. Is, do you know that it's very easy to be a small group leader? You go through the growth track. Then you do a one-hour training. And boom, you can lead a small group. And here's why it's so easy, because the job description is pretty simple. But one of the primary things that our, our small group leaders have been commissioned to do is this, is to pray for every person in your small group by name. Because we believe that prayer changes things, that you go somewhere in prayer before you do in person. So if you need a breakthrough, we're going to go there. We're going to go to your breakthrough in prayer before you ever do in person. Listen, if you, whatever it is in your life, we just believe in the power of prayer. One of the best things you could do to help your friend find strength in God is to lift them up in prayer, to cover in prayer. I, I, I think about this um, whenever I was very discouraged one time um, in ministry. is in 2012, and I, I, I think I was having a little bit of a nervous breakdown. I was just so stressed out, and I don't know if you've ever been carrying a lot of stress because of work or a big decision you got to make. I was carrying a ton of stress. But I had to, as a leader, and especially as a spiritual leader, I had to get up in front of people and I got to put my game face on. I got to be strong for everybody, right? That's what I thought. And I remember going to, it was at a conference. We were leading thousands of people at this conference. And I went into this back room and one of my friends, he came in because he knew I was struggling. He flew in from Arkansas. God bless the Arkansas people. There's not many good things that come out of Arkansas. But anyway, sorry. I'm kidding, kidding. But my friend, Jason Kimbrough, Jason Kimbrough, he, he called me before that conference and said, how are you doing? And I said, I'm not doing well, man. I'm not doing well. Got some big decisions to make, and I'm very stressed out. And he said, I'm coming to that conference. He goes, I don't need to speak. I don't need to do anything. I just want to be with you. And right before the first session started, I was, I was feeling like I was almost out of my mind. I was so stressed out. I went and I got alone, and I shut the door in this office. And then Jason came in. And I was sitting at this desk on this little white chair, and he stood right beside me. And I just broke and started crying. I mean, it was like I had been suppressing this and just started crying. So much stress. He didn't say one word for five minutes. Just put his hand on my back. And he just stood there, and just right there, just, just him and I, nobody else. And after five minutes, he started to pray. And he prayed for the next 30 minutes, and something broke off of my life. It was like strength was infused into my heart. 
it was like all that stress and all, that, all the anxiety, it was like a, a flood of peace washed over me. You know why? Because the Bible says, it says, be anxious about nothing, pray about everything, present your request before God with thanksgiving and his peace will guard your heart and mind. Here's the problem. My prayers weren't working for me. I needed a friend who would come and stand with me and believe God for me, put his hand on my back in the middle of my pain and pray and lend me his faith and lend me his strength. And I'm telling you what, God did it. You need to have a friend like that, that whenever you're weak, they can be strong. I wonder, are, are, the fr- are you just the strong person in all your relationships? Because you need to make sure you have some people that are stronger than you. I got some people that are a lot stronger than me. They can do some heavy lifting, okay? Spiritually heavy lifting. And there's times when I got to call on them, my friends, and I can be real. I can show my weakness. I can take off the mask, and they can help strengthen me in the Lord. They'll pray with me. They'll stand with me. Um, Here's what it says in Proverbs 17. It says this, a friend loves at all times, at all times. And a brother is born or a sister is born for a time of adversity. I'm telling you what. You're going to have times that are going to be hard in your life. Some of you are walking through that right now. And the sad thing is you don't have anybody to be strong for you while you're walking through weakness. My prayer as the pastor of our church is that every one of you, no matter what season you walk through in your life, that you'll have a friend that sticks closer than a brother or a sister, that you'll have a friend, that you'll be together with somebody in our church or maybe from another church, that, men, when you're going through mountaintops, they will celebrate with you, they will laugh with you, but you'll also have somebody, whenever you're walking through hell in your life, that they will come along the side of you, they'll pray for you, they'll be with you, they'll cry with you. Sometimes they'll just be silent and sit with you. My prayer is that you'll have that. When my dad had a stroke years ago, this guy showed up at the hospital named Jeff. We, we were sort of friends, but he knew what being a good friend was all about. He was a way better friend to me than I was a friend to him. He showed up, and every night at the hospital, he'd bring his iPad, and we'd sit together, and we'd watch a movie together, and he would just sit there with me. He did that for about a week straight. You know why? Because a friend loves at all times. You need a friend like that. And the last one is this, is we need, a, we need people, whenever we come together, that we call out truth to each other. This one's important. We live in the church culture uh, in the West now, and maybe this is around the world. I can only speak for here, where we have, we have bought into this idea that, that people inside the church cannot call us out on our stuff because we'll say, you're, trying to, you're judging me. That's just a judgmental church. The Bible says we're not to judge those outside the church, but inside the church we should be examining one another, the fruit of our life, And we owe it to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. When we see something that doesn't look like Jesus, we speak the truth wrapped in love. This is so important. Do you know that unless you allow people to speak the truth into your life within a community of trusted friends, unless you and I allow that, we will never become the people that God has called us to be. we got to have people that will call out truth in our life, that we'll see something in our life that just doesn't look like Jesus, and they'll call it out. And see, David had this. David had Samuel. He had, he had uh, Jonathan, and, but he had this guy, Nathan. This is probably one of my favorite stories with David. David, David screws up royally. He ends up, he ends up uh, committing adultery with this woman, Bathsheba. He sees her, he's ba- she's bathing one day and he's up on the rooftop and he's checking her out and he's, he sends for her. She comes and over to his palace and, and he begins to, you know, have his way with her and she ends up getting pregnant. 
The problem is, is that, number one, that, that's wrong. But the real problem is that he had a devoted soldier that was devoted to him and was loyal to the kingdom. And this guy, he was actually married to Bathsheba. And David, he begins to stress out because he's thinking, I'm going to be busted because, because this soldier is out in the battlefield fighting for me while I am sleeping with his wife. And now she's pregnant. So his game plan was, I'm going to call for him to come here and um, we're, we're going to get him to sleep with his wife. And then he'll think that's his baby. So he desperately has all these plans to try to cover this thing up. And none of it works out to where finally he has to have this guy put in the most fierce part of the battlefield so that he's killed. Literally, he's murdered to cover his own sin of infidelity and having adultery and getting this girl pregnant. It's a very bad story. It's the darkest moment that we know of in David's life. Sadly is that a lot of times when people mention the name David, they don't think about his songs or his victories. They think about his immorality. But the amazing thing is that even in his sin and his immorality, God brings his trusted friend that really loved him into his life to speak truth. Look at what happens here. It says, so the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David this story. I wonder how many times God has sent someone a friend into your life or my life, but we weren't willing to receive the truth that they were about to bring. It says God sent Nathan. It says there were two men. Nathan begins to tell this story. This is so genius. Tells this story to David. David, there were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and he grew up and it grew up with his children it ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and he killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for, not, for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. I've put myself in this situation many times. And I've thought, you know, I've had people bring hard truths to me before. And at first I resisted it. But if I ever received it, if it was truth, it, it always made me better. And I ended up being very grateful to people like Nathan in my life. But I thought about like if I was Nathan, like I would have probably been so scared to bring this truth to David. David's the king. Nathan's just, he's just a prophet. Nathan's, Nathan's like on the, on, the, on the pecking order, like David could just have him kill, killed too and covered up as well, just like he did with this other guy. But Nathan, I think Nathan knew something, is that true friendship, when we're really together, we'll have each other's back and we'll pull each other to the side in the appropriate way and we'll say, listen, this may not be your heart, this may not be your intention, but I want to call you out on something so that I can call you up for something. We need to have friends like that in our life that will do that. I love what Proverbs says, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. You know, you cannot say that you really love your friends, love your spouse, love anyone if you're not willing to have a hard conversation with them. We cannot say we really love our friends if we will let them continue down a, a downward trajectory without stopping and having a conversation with them. But many times we're afraid of what we're going to lose if we'll have a conversation. But a true friend, 
A true friend will step in and say what other people may not have the courage to say. Why? Because we deeply desire to see the people around us that God's placed in our life go to the next level in their relationship with Jesus. And we'll have those tough conversations. He says, wounds from a sincere friend, sincere is key, are better than many kisses from an enemy. I wonder, do you have any friends in your life that will wound you only to heal you? Do you, have friend, do you only build a friendship circle around you and a community around you? Do, do you only build people around you that are impressed by you? Or do you put people around you that genuinely love you and care for you and will speak truth when things are not right? When, when things are inappropriate, when things are immoral, when your attitude stinks? Have you built your life in such a way where you have people that will call you out to call you up because they love you and they want what's best for you? I'm telling you what, I have one of our overseers that's like that. This guy, Josh Turner, you've probably heard him speak here before. This guy, Josh, he will call me out and call me up, and he has no reservation to do it. I think he, he finds a lot of joy in doing it, actually. <laughs> but, you know, but you know what? He's probably my most valuable friendship. If you ask Jennifer, he, he's probably my most valuable friendship. Why? Because he really loves me, and because we're really together. Man, he will speak truth into my life. Do you have people in your life like that? And number two, do you receive it? If you want to become more like Jesus, it's going to be more than you just reading your Bible. It's going to be more than just you praying. God has put people or wants to put people in your life that will literally, they will be like a mirror so that you can see the stuff that God wants to work on and work out of your life. Do you know this Sunday morning, as good of a preacher as I could be, as good as, as good as the teaching could be from here, this is only a catalyst for transformation. Do you know that even reading your Bible and praying is only a catalyst for transformation? You know what you need? You need someone to help work it out. The, one of the translations says, has, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the other. Another translation says something like this rugged, uh, a, a rough stone. It takes a rough stone to sharpen a sword. Some of you have some rough stones in your life, and some of you need some rough stones in your life. That's people that will help grind out some of the issues that, that God wants to work on and work out of your life. Amen? I'm so thankful that, for the people that God's used in my life. Elton, you can come on up. But I'll finish up with this, and this is why I ended up preaching on this. This past week, I had one of my friends, a, a friend of 24 years, uh, he passed away. And so I flew after Sunday's service this past Sunday, I flew to Louisiana to go into, to, I didn't know I was doing his funeral. I got there, and they're like, hey, can you do the funeral? I was like, awesome. <laughs> you know, I'm be in and out, be instant in and out of season, I think the Bible says. But I got up there and I shared and I wrote down uh, a verse that came to mind, which is the one we read earlier. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. And I shared that whenever I begin to remember about this guy, because there was a time in my life where my family fell apart and I went through a very challenging season. And a lot of my friends that I was currently friends with their parents, and this, listen to this, their parents told them, you need to get far away from Jason and Joey. That was, that's my brother's Joey. So you need, to get, you need to step away from them because they're going through a tough time. Let them get through this. And then if they're still, their life's still together, then you can be friends with them again. So, so at a time when we needed people to step in, everyone actually stepped out. Except for this one guy. This one guy, even his mom, who requested me to do his funeral, at the time, when I was 18 years old, his mom even told him, said, you need to get away from Jason and Joey. They're bad influence on your life. But he looked at his mom and said, Mom, you know what a faithful friend is? A faithful friend is somebody that doesn't walk out whenever things get hard. And he challenged his mom. And his mom said, okay, fine. 
And I remember sitting on the tailgate of this guy's truck and I broke down crying because my dad had just left our family. And the thought of not having a dad at home and a father and just that abandonment, it just began to overwhelm me. And I sat down there with, with this guy and he began to share about how his dad died when he was two years old. He began to share what that journey has been like. And he put his arm around my shoulder and he just said, man, you're going to make it and I'm sticking together with you and, and you're going to get through this. You're going to come through this. And he encouraged me in that moment. He was a faithful friend. I call it friendfluence. It's the influence of your friends. He influenced me and he encouraged me, just keep going. Just keep going. I'm going to be here with you. And while those other friends stepped away, this guy stepped in. Interesting thing is I had to share at that funeral and I looked out at a crowd of about 20 of those friends that had stepped away while this guy stepped in. I wanted to just kind of throw the microphone at some of them. Like, now what? You know, I didn't do it. Come on. Why don't you bow your heads with me? I'm going to pray for you. That's funny. I don't care who you are. Father, we love you so much. And God, I thank you that you have planned and designed the Christian life to be lived together. Not to be isolated and not to just be a church experience where we go to a Sunday thing, but really to be in community together, to be in relationship together. It takes work. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's inconvenient. But we need this. And God, I pray for people that are here today that they've They've gone maybe from church to church trying to find their place and their family and their community, and they've just never felt like they fit, and they've wanted to give up. I pray that today they would not give up like it says in Hebrews. Don't give up meeting together. Don't give up coming together. Don't give up trying to work on and work out your relationships. Don't give up. For others in here, they've been deeply wounded by Christians, and maybe they were even in a small group at some time, and it just went south, and, and just it damaged them, and they just feel so broken because of the way. God, I pray that you bring healing where there's been hurt. God, there's, there's others that are in here today that whenever I was talking about that Nathan that came and brought truth, God, they, they thought about that friend that tried to speak into their life and they shut down and they shut them off and they push them away. I pray that they would hear you, Holy Spirit, saying you need to reconcile that friendship. God, I pray for all these things that we've talked about today, that they would be not just your goal for our relationships, but our goals, our friendship goals. I want to, I want to live in a community like that, God. I want to create a community like that. I want to share that with my friends. Lord, we thank you for it today. But God, really, there's a fourth friend we had three. We had Samuel, we had Nathan, and we had Jonathan. But I think there's a fourth friend. It's David. David, he actually points us to the true and greater king that would one day come. A descendant of his lineage, Jesus. That's the friend. He's the John 15 friend that looks out at his, his 12 guys and he says, guys, there's, there's no greater love than, than this that a, a man would lay down his life for his friends. He said that to a group of friends, and then he went to a cross and he laid his life down for his friends. Jesus, you are the greatest example of what it means to be a true friend, to live in community, God, to lay our lives down. We thank you for that. We can have this community within church. We can be connected together because of what you have done, Jesus. We now get to share in this. So we thank you for it today. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.